This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Nick read Riptide by Lance Carney, and I read How the Duke Stole Christmas, a compilation featuring Tessa Dare, Sarah McLean, Sophie Jordan, and Joanna Shoup. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here once again with a Kindle purchase and a live, no, an Amazon purchase. We own both of these books this week. You Uh, keep buying me books that I now own. Well, I got bad news for next week because I already picked it and you're going to own another one. What is it? $1.75 worth of glory. Oh, good. I Hopefully it also is only 179 pages, right? One cent for every page? That's usually the going rate these days. Am I right, freelancers? Hey-oh. Good joke. But we are here with a Christmas sex book as we are so wont to do, except instead of ghosts and cats and ghost cats... It is instead Dukes. It is. There are some Dukes in How the Dukes Stole Christmas. In fact, there are four of them. One Duke for each short story in this Christmas sex book compilation. I think, is this the third or fourth Christmas sex book compilation we've done? We had the original. It turns out they're ghosts the whole time. Uh Uh-huh. Then we had a second one. The cats. No, the cats was the third one. Ooh. Because I'm pretty sure after the success of the first Christmas sex book, you came back to a second Christmas sex book. And then a magical Christmas cat. And yep. then I finally got on board mm-hmm. to buy you Megan Trainer's How the Duke Stole Christmas. She looks remarkably like Megan Trainer. It's weird. The woman on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, I had a Kindle exclusive. Rip- I don't even remember what it's called. Ripped Tide. <laughs> nice. I was searching for books on Kindle. Um, I felt like that would maybe be a better choice in this time of social distancing than actually going to the library. Ooh, topical. And I was looking at a few different options. There was one that was set in the gritty underbelly of Minneapolis, which I felt like would have been kind of a fun pick. I don't know that Minneapolis really has a gritty underbelly. It's I called St. Loved... Paul. <laughs> Sorry, Nate and Maggie, if you Sorry, listen. Sorry, Nate and Maggie. Um, but I decided on this one because I feel like I have made you read a lot of very long books lately. And this one was real short. It was like 120 Kindle pages, which is incredibly, incredibly quick read. Yeah, um, this book probably took me all told two hours to read, and it probably would have taken even less than that if I had spent less time with my head back going, Ugh. Or less time setting it down and looking sadly at me every time you read something terrible. I would say more angrily. Uh-huh. Um, it's supposed to be funny, and it's not. I, this book... I mean, I might finish talking about it before, even faster than I read it, because there's just, it's, there's nothing, nothing happens. There's an entire scene that's going through, like, isn't it funny how boring corporate meetings are? And it's like, not when you have to make me read it, you know, like, I'm just, I'm also sitting here in this boring Mm. meeting with you and it's boring. 
and it doesn't relate at all to the plot. There's maybe like six scenes total in this whole book. And one of them is useless? No, no, no. There's there's probably six scenes total in this whole book that add to the plot in any way. Oh, dear. There's, we went to a concert and uh, there were, the band was really good. That goes on for a couple. Uh, we get a, uh, oh man, I put it somewhere. We get a long basketball game between employees at the hospital, which we are led to believe will end the the chapter. The only time this happens, the chapter jumps ahead to something bad happening and then goes backwards to like... Oh. Like, freeze frame. I bet you were wondering how I got into this position, right? It literally says, like, I was trying to remember how I got myself in the... How did I get here again? Or something like that. Lame. And then it goes back to the beginning. It turns out they're just playing basketball in the, the parking lot, and he falls down. He gets, like, hard fouled, and he, like, breaks his nose. Oh. So that doesn't matter. Uh, multiple times, it talks about, like, going over to a guy's house and leaving if it as if it was written by Tommy Wiseau. Uh, talks about about eight or eight or nine paragraphs of just different ways he's flipping shrimp off the grill and onto the floor for his cats to eat. <laughs> I have an honest question. <sighs> yeah. What does it take to get published straight to Kindle? Nothing. You can just do it. Really? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure the Kindle marketplace is like just self-published. And if people buy oh. it, then it's there. Like it, it doesn't take up. Hardly any data space, you know? Hmm. So, like, I thought about maybe doing something like that just to have an easier way of guilt-tripping people into reading things I've written, but I don't know. It's it's supposedly won a, a humor award the author did, so let's hope this is just one of his off days and that that humor Oof. award isn't... Can you remind me what the plot is? I, I don't know. At... <laughs> I don't know if was I can. Was this a shifter book? Was there magic? Was no. This was a, basically, I think it tried to uh, bill itself as, like, a Jimmy Buffett mystery. Oh, it was set on the beach. Yes. Yeah. Um, What it is, is it opens with our main character whose name I forget. Always a good sign in Bibliophile. Um, Daniel, maybe. Uh, Opens with him at the hospital already with a jellyfish sting on his wiener. Oh, man. And so they're cutting open his trunks, and he's got a big old inflamed jellyfish wiener. And then he goes home. That plays barely any part in it. Um, Wait, just like, is that the inciting incident of how he met one of the other important characters? The inciting incident is that he's there, and he's supposed to be given a pain medication by an orderly, but the orderly just gives him saline. And so then he goes back and talks to the hospital and is like, well, that orderly probably stole the pain medicine and abused it. This is a book about the abuse of opioid medicine by hospital employees. Is it actually? Yes. Wow. Um, I was 22% in within one reading session and there was like no mystery happening. Okay. So it just doesn't. It doesn't go. It's just entire pages of fake, uninteresting, unnecessary dialogue. This is, like, the writing style is trying to be church pamphlet, like, uh, funny. Like, oh, yeah. Dave Barry on Quaaludes funny, and it, and it fails at even that, like, email forward funny. And it's just, Yikes. it's just bad. So, in order to discover the source of this narcotic, or, yeah, narcotic and, and opioid uh, theft, 
he's going to go undercover as a maintenance or like a housekeeping worker at the hospital and work and try to find out. So is he a cop? No, he was a former pharmacist whose fiance uh, died during surgery because the anesthesiologist or somebody was uh, currently high on painkillers at the time and made the wrong decision. So he's got a personal beef. Okay, but how is he going undercover to solve this mystery? Because the hospital is like contracting him out since he brought it to their attention because he's... So the entire time I was reading it, I thought he was like falling in love with the PA who had cut off his swim trunks. And then it was later like, no, she's the hospital manager. And I couldn't remember how they met, which is a great sign. So he's like hired by the Department of HR to find out who's stealing these these uh, opioids. And so he gets hired as a housekeeper. I don't think that's how that works. Like, I don't think hospitals just hire former patients to fix their problems. No. Uh, also, they contract out with temp agencies so they don't have to pay their workers anything. Anyway, uh, upon one of his first shifts, he is cleaning, like, the waiting room to the ER where he sees a family where the mom and is on her phone just, like, zoned out, zonked out. And the dad is, like, head back asleep in the middle of the thing. They're both wearing clothes that make it very clear that they've been wearing them for, like, five days in a row. And it's like, isn't it funny that they're not watching their kids? It's like, they're in the hospital waiting room. Yeah. For several days now, apparently. Of course they're not doing a great job of watching their kids. He, A small boy is mean to him while he's cleaning because the small boy, in the, in the scope of this book... Uh, or in the just like very revealing of how things work in this book, just walks up to him and just goes, you're a, and I'm quoting here, queer dough nut burger. That's a thing that humans say to each other. And the guy cleaning was like, oh, you shouldn't be mean to people. I wanted to say takes one to no one, but I was, I, someone had to be the adult. And then he's like, you're a queerdo nut burger. And I looked at the parents for support, but obviously mom was too engrossed. Like, number one, the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Number two, it's a small boy. Just ignore him and walk away. I love, I feel like this is another theme in Bibliovile of authors not really understanding how human beings interact with each other in any circumstance this, hey. especially coming into play with how people are mean to each other <laughs> like strangers aren't really mean to each other in that kind of way yeah like not often do you see a stranger just be like hey f you give but old in, men giving them the finger but in bibliophile books it happens all the time they're giving them the finger they're yelling nonsensical insults at them yeah it's weird um, you brought up that they don't understand how real life works. This has some of the fakest quote unquote realistic dialogue I've ever seen where like, it's not supposed to be, you know, like, uh, fancy or anything like that. I'm willing to bet the author describes his writing style as authentic Ooh, and it's yes. like the absolute fakest authenticity I've ever seen. Um, faux-centicity. Ooh, that's a pretty good one. Ah. Portman faux. Ah. <laughs> At one point, uh, he has a, I don't know, he's supposed to be, like, apparently really rich because he just pays for everything for everybody, but he was a pharmacist in a former life, and unless he, like, won a I mean, pharmacists lawsuit, make good money. Not, like, but quit not, your job and move yeah. and pay for everything. Maybe there was, like, a wrongful death lawsuit. Possibly. I'm not going to go back and read the check. Uh, 
So he has a man that he thinks is a Jamaican like worker, a black guy is working on his house uh, as the handyman. Uh, and he, the Moses is the handyman's name and the weird neighbor that he has that's a germaphobe and an organic like weirdo isn't that hilarious uh gets to know him but the handyman but the handyman will never talk to uh our main character uh and so when explaining the handyman to the main character for the author instead of the author doing it the uh weirdo neighbor does a helpful recovering of martin luther king's tactics and strategy uh because it turns out moses was a civil rights fighter uh where later the white guy puts a hand on his shoulder and says, thank you for fighting against intolerance and stupidity. Must have been really bad. And it turns out that the guy's from the south side of Chicago and promises, or, and after kind of opening up, still says, well, I'd never be seen drinking a beer with Whitey. Uh, during the retelling of the uh, civil rights movement uh, tactics of, well, they got insulted. Well, why didn't they fight back? Well, wouldn't you know that Martin Luther King really preached nonviolence because of getting on TV and showing blacks being the victims. It's a whole thing. But during this... This was not the turn that I was expecting this it's just, book that started with jellyfish wieners it's to just, take. It, no, this is only like five paragraphs. It's completely out of nowhere and it completely goes away again. Like everything else in the book. I guess, yeah. But during these five paragraphs of retelling of the civil rights uh, era... Uh, it drops three or four uses of the word Negro, which is fantastic. Oh, no. And not in, like, even a historically accurate way where it's like the, you know, you know how NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored Persons? Yes. Like, we don't really use the word colored person anymore. Well, we definitely don't. But that's still the name of it. Yeah. No, I I literally think that the author just was like, oh, yeah, there's there's Negroes. Here's my question. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Like, what did that add? What did that bring to the plot? What did that bring to the story? Was that just to make the author feel better? I don't know. I have no. Way? I have no clue why, wherefore, or how that was included. Yikes. Um. Then comes the aforementioned uh, basketball fight thing where he goes and he plays basketball and he, wouldn't you know it, he's actually pretty good at it. He played as a high schooler. And then he's pushed over by a guy who is established in the beginning physically assaulting his wife on the beach in front of everybody. Jeez. And then later, it turns out, works at the hospital and checks the main character to the ground and tells him, like, Oh, I spent a jail. I hate you, buddy. Uh, and what you know is the big bad, which is like, yeah, of course, we don't just... Even this book would not introduce a physical altercation on yeah. a beach without him being the back. So it's like, what's the point of the mystery? Yeah. Then? If we know right in the guy. very beginning, in the opening scene, you know it's going to be that guy. You don't even know what's happened yet, but yeah. you know it's going to be that guy. Yeah, and so he gets checked to the ground, and he gets a pretty obvious concussion. Like, he gets dizzy, and he has trouble staying awake. But instead of adding on other things, like a massive headache, nausea, trouble remembering things, he just becomes, like, a drunk person in a cartoon, like, reaching out for lights and hallucinating. That's not really what concussions do to you. Yeah, like, yeah, and he also gets a fat lip, and so the author is writing it as if he's like, my no, like, blah, 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 baby, big, big beer, is it, is mommy? And he's, like, is writing with this fake, phonetic, baloney garbage. Ew, gross. 
And it's like, do your research about what a concussion is. It's not. And I also feel like a concussion is a pretty well, like, people know what happens to you when you get a concussion. Yeah, and it's not, mommy? Like, literally, mm-hmm. he thinks that women are his mother. Yeah, that's not really what concussions are. No. Concussions are, I would like to take a nap and also might barf. Yeah, don't fall asleep until you've been cleared. Uh, We don't find out until 66% of the way through the book that we're looking for a drug ring and not just, like, casual theft. Uh, At one point, he is recapping episodes of Bones with two elderly sisters in a room. Like the TV show Bones? Like the TV show Bones for at least three Kindle pages. They're just talking about Bones, the show. Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. He did. You're also supposed to, when you write, uh, keep your tenses consistent. Oh, And no. there's multiple tense mistakes. Oh, uh, no. That's the only tense situation in the entire book is <laughs> the mistake about using tenses. Uh, and then there is a not joke. The well-equipped parenthetical not. Fantastic work. Uh, and then the last thing I'm going to say is that at one point he reads somebody's body English instead of body language. Their body English? Their body English instead of their body language. What if my body speaks a different language? Ooh, sexy. <laughs> um, it's Quebecoy. It's not especially <laughs> sexy. Um, so yeah, this book was terrible and it was awful and I have nothing much to say about it because nothing much happened. Uh... He then, somebody grabs him in a dark room and injects him full of cocktail drugs, and he's uh, unconscious for a week. It's like, you guys know that heroin overdoses, like, if you you fix them, they, like, wake back up. Yeah. Pretty pretty quickly. I, I don't know much that's going to knock you out for a week. I skipped four to five Kindle pages. Just straight up skipped it because it was like a dream sequence while he was under in this drug cocktail and he was talking to Bella Lugosi the vampire actor and then his mom was there and uh is making fantasy island jokes and I just skipped it and I was none the worse off for it and I could have skipped this whole book and been none the worse off for it except then we wouldn't have an episode of Bibliovile so Sue please tell me about your four short stories at least yours was short yeah but y'all all of yours were short too yes they were just four of them I would like to start off this episode. First, I just want you to put yourself in the Christmas spirit. Um, This is helped by the fact that it snowed this morning. So we're just going to put ourselves in a really jolly mood, deck the halls, get ready. And before we start, I would like to play a little game with you. How familiar are you with... What I would consider classic Christmas movies. I would say the same amount I am with everything where I know about them for no reason. Okay. Um, all, all four of these books are loosely based off of a classic Christmas movie. And I would like to play a little game where you try to guess which classic Christmas movie they are based off of. What's the name of this segment? Um, the, the... Wait, was that NFL on Fox or is that the Christmas one? <laughs> um, I don't know what should the name of the segment be. I'm really bad at this kind of stuff. When you put me on the spot, you gotta let me prepare. State speech participant um, Susan Dickinson for group improv. 
It's been like 15 years. Leave me alone. Why are you doing this to me? Help me come up with a name. Yuletube. There's. Yuletube. Okay. Um, Wait, that sounds like a wiener. That does kind of With a Santa like hat a on it. <laughs> oh, gross. Um, so, I am going to start. I am not going to tell you the title. I am going to describe the basic plot line of each of these short stories. And I want you to guess which classic Christmas movie this is based off of. Okay, what's the intro music to the segment? Okay, so I'm going to start you off with probably the easiest one. So, rich and ruthless, even the Duke of Allred doesn't care for the holidays. But when Lady Jacqueline Mosby returns, there we go. Um, Okay, second one, probably a little bit tougher. Uh, Louisa Ward needs a Christmas miracle unless she catches a wealthy husband at the ball. The Duke of Thorndale will evict her family from their home. No, when Louisa finds herself waltzing with the heartless Thorndale, she's unnerved by his handsome looks and surprising charm. The big thing that I think would help you out is that this is a family that is facing the prospect of having to move away from their home that they've been in for a long time. They don't want to move away from their home. It's not a wonderful. It's not. It's not. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful life. <sighs> if it had another tie-in with the movie it's based off of, there would perhaps be a younger sister and an older sister singing "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." It's a wonderful life. <laughs> uh, this one is called Meet Me in Mayfair and is loosely based off of Meet Me in St. Louis. Are you, that is not one that you're familiar with based on the current look on your face. Okay, I'm going to give you another easier one. When Annis Ballister finds herself stranded in the highlands Cast during away. a Christmas oh. snowstorm, she must fend off brigands terrorizing the countryside. So she and her family are on vacation in their home in the Scottish Highlands, and her family goes back home to London and leaves without her. Yes. Skyfall? Heiress Alone by Sophie Jordan, based on Home Alone. Uh, I'd argue that the intruders coming into a booby-trapped house in a Scottish Highlands is much closer to the James Bond movie Skyfall. So. But it's called Heiress Alone. Okay, this one I think is going to be a tough one. I did not know this one either. Uh, I'd have to guess Christmas in Connecticut. All right, fine. Christmas in Central Park by Joanna Shoup. Mrs. Rose Walker pens a popular advice column. Okay, you did not have as much fun with my games. I was hoping you would, so I will instead tell you about these books. What's the outro music? Boo-doo. Oh, it's in my archie. Oh, no. This is like the NFL injuries. Boo, 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 owes the owner of their property a bunch of money that he hasn't paid out and the guy's like you're not paying me back so you gotta go and she's like parasite. horrified by this like well you kind of have to pay your stuff but all landlords are terrible so um, unless she, they're handsome 
she decides she's going to make a last ditch effort. She's going to go to this Christmas ball by Is her there friend. Anything I can do. And she's going to try to find a wealthy husband mm. who will marry her and pay off her family's debt so they can stay at their home in Mayfair. Oh, she will. Instead, she meets the Duke who they owe the money to. And they wind up having a little, a fun little outing, a fun little adventure together. I, before um, we get going too far, okay. does the fact that these are roughly based in a uh, time period that is not known for its uh, literary lasciviousness, is there sex in this in these books? I would like to answer that question by reading an excerpt from page 28 of this short Sounds story. Good. Tell me about this. And so their their little um their little adventure, their little meet cute happens. They're dancing together, wine gets spilled all over her. He oh, feels bad, he so he's off. like I'm going to take you home so that you can like get changed and whatever. So they go to his coach and <laughs> tells him, give drop down, give me 15. Here's some sprints. <laughs> So they go to his coach, and um, she says, where's the coachman? God knows. Annoyed, James set his jaw. I'll go in search of him. Wait in the coach. You'll be warmer inside. He reached for the door latch and flung it open, preparing to hand Miss Ward into the cab. However, when he pulled the door open wide, they were met with a startling sight. A bare ass humping enthusiastically between a pair of fleshy female thighs. Oh, thighs. Okay. Wow. I know. Page 28, the coachman's boning. And he's like horrified. Like, oh no, this young woman, her virgin eyes have seen this. And she thinks it's hilarious. Who's he um, humping? I don't know. Some lady. The help? Potentially a prostitute. Um, so yeah, we that get Nani up in here. my autobiography. Potentially a prostitute by Nick Dickinson. That's a subtitle. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, so they go on this fun little adventure. He's walking her home because they can't... He fires the coach driver and they can't find a taxi, so he's walking her home. And she decides to take him on a tour of Mayfair since that's the last time she's ever going to see it. They fall in love. Then they get home and he realizes that her family is the one that owes her money. He thinks that she has schemed to, to do all of this just to keep the house well, and then she did. And then they fight, but then they get back together and they eventually get married and her family gets to stay in Mayfair. Mayfair, happy ending. Do they bone? I mean, presumably. Oh, well, you don't get to see it? No. We get to see some good smooching and some heavy petting. Oh, over But the only people bosoms. we get to see boning are the coachman and his lady lover. Um, second one by Sarah McLean is the Duke of Christmas Present. Uh, two childhood friends um, became lovers, but then they fell apart. They reunite 12 years later. We spend 80 pages of them angstily pining over each other. Then they bone, and then they get married. My biggest Ugh. beef with this one was, holy buckets, why was it so long? No kidding. 80 pages. I know. That's like almost all of my book. I know. And it was just them being like, we want to be together, but we tried it and it didn't work when we were 16 yeah how was the boning um that one was pretty sexy oh. it was some it was some good sexiness i do like that in these did books it say the they words did turgidity 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 what does that mean bonard oh no oh. um i did appreciate that in these short stories they did not try to pretend like people in the 17 and 1800s just didn't have sex like 
They they did, guys. People been boning. They they been boning. I feel weird that this is like a central thesis of Bibliophile. <laughs> yeah, that we're advocating for people to be open throughout history about yeah, the sex yeah. that they had. People been boning, guys. Um, my favorite one was Eris alone. Um, it is by far the most ridiculous. Her family just forgets her. Is that her. Shoop or who is that? Uh, that is Sophie Jordan. Oh. Um, her family just straight up forgets her. They're all on vacation in this castle that her dad bought in the Scottish Highlands. And they forgot her. And then in the meantime, in the like two hours since they've left while she was still asleep, there's been a huge snowstorm and now she's going to be stuck there for months. And a tarantula? Woof. Ugh, crazy. Um, Did she pick up a small little brooch with like a derogatype in it? And she's like, wow, brother's girlfriend. Woof. (laughs) Um, I will say about this book, Scottish accents written out are horrific and I hate them. Um, this woman is described as being solid and nicely curved, built for pleasure, which is kind of icky. Her own pleasure? Um, well, I hope so. Good for her. She's going to be stuck in in this castle for a long time. Oh, she yeah, might as well. Social isolating, right? Yeah, social distancing. distancing. So her name is Annis. Uh, she snowed Anis? in with... Uh, Anise? Um, Anise? Anise? I don't know how to say it. Um, we'll go with a niece. It sounds less like anus. What about her brother, a nephew? A <laughs> niece and the servants wind up going to stay with this duke, um, the duke of Wait, something. I so there's servants in the castle that they left behind and the servants weren't like... Well, the servants live there all the time. Yeah, but the servants weren't like, hey, uh, you have another person. Like in Home Alone, there weren't servants. You know. Whatever. Well, we had to have the servants because that is what prompts the Duke to come over because he knows there are brigands about and he um, wants to go protect the servants because he's known them his whole life. And so he wants to bring them over to his castle and he has to bring her too. Um, She, as they're going from her castle to his, she falls and hits her head. He is automatically considered a, a good and great man because he doesn't rape her while she's unconscious. Hey, high standards. Really high standards. I wish we weren't going to Scotland. I'd, I'd make fun of them, but I'm afraid they, they'll hear them. They'll find us. Um, at one point, she's like, uh, what is it called when you, she's in her narration, she's talking about men and how their sexual desires can be compared to animals in the barnyard. Um, a ringing endorsement. I, I've always said that men are just a bunch of cops. <laughs> Little bit of beauty and the beast in here. They fall in love. They bone a bunch. There's they want to get married. Um, the least realistic thing. About romance novels. There's a lot of sex in this one, too. Nice. And the least realistic thing about romance novels is that all of these women are virgins and the men are not, which, whatever. But their first time, every single one of the women has a perfect vaginal orgasm their first time having oh, yeah. sex. Haven't you heard that 100% of women get off on penetration? Yeah. And the their first, first time? time ever... Um, this book ends with them getting married and they're like, I guess we'll see my family in the spring. So her family's gonna come back to get her, presumably, if they haven't just completely forgotten her about that, about her at that point. And she's gonna be like, hello, I got married. 
Merry Christmas. You left right. me here. Putting the Merry in Merry Christmas. Um, the final one is called Christmas in Central Park. I I said that Eris alone was the most ridiculous. This one might actually be the most ridiculous. Um, this woman has a fake advice column. She's like a young 20-something, but she pens this advice and recipe column um, called Mrs. Walker. Um, and Mrs. Ranger. Mrs. Walker is supposed to be this like elderly matron who has children and is wealthy and has a husband and a big house and throws parties. And the newspaper that she works for is in trouble because of a scandal and their stocks are going down. Do newspapers have stocks? I publicly traded ones, I'm sure. Mm, I guess. Um, so in order to, in order to reassure the board of directors, the owner of the newspaper, whose first name is Duke, um, tells Rose Walker, who is in air quotes, Mrs. Walker, that she needs to throw a Christmas party in five days. Um, so she, her mom is a, a servant in, in a nice home. And so they... Um, they find somehow an empty house that no one is living in, but is currently furnished. It just hasn't been sold yet. They con the realtor into giving them the keys. She finds a friend who's going to pose as her husband. She convince a bunch, convinces a bunch of her mom's coworkers to like come in and be the servants and the cook and whatever. Um, and they're going to throw this party for the board. So in the midst of the party, um, she and Duke start flirting. He thinks she is a happily married woman. Um, but then eventually he catches the guy who's posing as her husband, uh, making out with one of the maids who's like actually his yeah. real life girlfriend. And so he thinks that like, oh no, Mrs. Walker's husband is cheating on her. And so they wound up for some reason, that justifies him having sex with Mrs. Walker. So they have sex in the kitchen after the party is over. Good for them. Also, wasn't part of her character being old and with children? Yeah. So why, so why is he still like on board with the entire endeavor? He's just she's... like, oh, she's younger than I thought. That's dumb. Yeah, we just kind of move on from there. Um, they get caught, the person who, uh, apparently pretty good, perfect vaginal orgasm the first time. Like on the, on the, on the counter? On the kitchen counter. That's Uh, gross. They get caught by the person who actually owns the house. He's obviously mad. Um, he winds up having a change of heart. He takes her back. They get married. He gives her a job as a reporter at the newspaper and her mom takes over the advice column. Um, and then they get married and that's it. Wow, so it goes from being a odd or a bad workplace flirtational relationship to a even worse workplace marriage relationship. Yeah. Getting married to the, your boss. Probably not a great idea in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, I will say I brought this book with me on my most recent and actually final uh, trip to Illinois for work. I was in a hotel room in Peoria by myself for three nights. That's a good book to have. So I I brought, I brought How the Duke Stole Christmas. I brought these lovely Dukes with me. Um, That's what I say when I get in a bar fight. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it was a pretty, like, it was a quick read. It was nice that it was four short stories. I would have been extremely grumpy if it was just a one book that was 450 pages long. Um, but they were they were nice and quick. They were very predictable, especially because they were based around already existing Christmas movies. Um, yeah, nice thing to put you in the Christmas spirit in the middle of March. Is that a euphemism for masturbation? I mean... I'm in the Christmas spirit. Anything could be a euphemism for masturbation if you yes. try hard enough. You said they were nice and quick, and it's like, well, at least the reading was quick. Oh. Oh. Um, Susan, I need you to grab your phone. Oh, no. I do not know where it is. You had it when we started, because I had to look up your movies. Okay. All right, I have sent you oh, over G Chat a no. link to your book on Kindle that is uh, for $1.99, and I think... It might be a steal. Boundary Haunted. Boundary Haunted. Two words that don't make a sentence. Boundary Magic Book 5. God damn it. <laughs> okay. Buying now with one click. Well, what's the story here? I'll figure it out, Han. No, Amazon, I don't want your app. Months after her battles in Wyoming, Allison Lex Luther, Lex Luther, okay, is still struggling with the after effects of the psychic attack she suffered <laughs> and with the new developments and her own magic. Then Lex's boss, the Cardinal Vampire of Colorado. <laughs> Passes along a strange request from her counterpart in Atlanta. Oh, hitting all the goods. Hundreds of Civil War spirits, this is going to get racist, have abruptly vanished in Bo Calhoun's territory, and he wants Lex to figure out why. Vanished as in they went away, and that's a bad thing? Yeah, in exchange. It must be all those statues were tearing down. Must be. Getting rid of our history. Bo can help her understand boundary magic, which runs in his family line as well. Despite her trepidation, Lex journeys to the deep south, where she discovers that ghosts are everywhere and that her host's intentions are more complicated than he promised. It seems his teenage descendant is being hunted, and both Bo and Lex fear the young woman's boundary blood may have made her a target. With Atlanta's history looming over her every move, Lex will have to face Bo's ghosts and her own to prevent... A boundary magic attack she never dreamed possible. What the hell is boundary magic? Bo's Ghosts is a great band name. <laughs> Bo's Ghosts. Also, I'm pretty sure that the history of Atlanta is uh, unfortunately shining over many of our decision-making skills at any given time. I'm really excited to see how authentically this author writes about um, the South, given that she was born and raised in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Ooh, get some line of kugels, Got baby. a degree from the UW-Milwaukee. It's a PBR, uh, baby. She lo- she lives in Madison, but dreams of the food in LA. What? That's backwards. <laughs> uh, any any updates? Uh, Have you picked me out a book yet, or are you still working on it? I might go back to the seedy underbelly of Minneapolis St. Paul one, which is ironically written by someone from Savannah, Georgia. Just, like, <laughs> I don't know. I might have to. I might have to see if I can find something a little worse. It'll probably be a Kindle book, social distancing. Um, also a good band name. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll be inspired. I keep seeing people talking on Twitter about how when Shakespeare was in uh, isolation from the plague, he wrote King Lear. So if you're not currently working hard on writing the next King Lear, it's like you're disappointing 
the world. Well, I just think that we're not going to write it, but I think we're probably going to read a great American masterpiece while we're in our isolation here. And it's probably going to be this boundary water magic boy that you got me. More, I bet that's it. More like Borantine. <laughs> Okay, that is going to do it for this week. It's a short episode because they were short books. Uh, and, and because and I really want to go eat my enchiladas. And we want to go eat enchiladas. Uh, I have been and will continue to be Mick Dickinson. You can find me on Twitter at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. You can find the show on Twitter at Bibliovile. You already know how to spell it. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Anyway, we love each and every single one of you. Stay healthy out there, wash your hands, and don't hang out with old people. Yeah. Just listen to this podcast over and over again. (laughs) We get royalties, I think. Take care of yourselves and each other. Start us a Patreon, a GoFundMe. Give us money directly. (laughs) Bye. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Ba 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 da da ba ba ba.